The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hey everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to the show and Happy New Year. Hope you had a good New Year's Eve. I went to a wrestling show in Worcester, Massachusetts, and the main event started uh, right at midnight, and it was a fans bring the weapons match, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, I brought some nunchucks that sadly weren't used, but I got to see somebody get hit with a thumbtack-covered dildo, so it was definitely uh, worth the price of admission. My registration is uh, going really well for my two freehand classes in February. I'm doing the one in Orlando and one in Hanover, Maryland. Uh, if you're interested in that, uh, you can go to precisionbodyarts.com backslash seminars. You can get information about the course content, how to register. There are uh, a few spots uh, for each class, but not many remaining. So if you're interested in signing up for it, you might want to do that pretty soon. I've got uh, another class confirmed for late April. I'll be teaching at the Boston Tattoo Convention. It's going to be kind of a a shorter seminar. It's not going to be a full day thing. It's going to be about two hours, and it's just going to focus on needle bevel theory. So that's really the the key component to freehand classes. Um, My needle bevel theory uh, class will actually just be the beginning of my full day freehand seminar. So it's it's really important if you want to try to learn and, and apply certain freehand techniques that you really understand bevel theory because that's that's really like the the secret ingredient to it. Really, I mean you can you can just uh, use your fingers and and hold the needle and and push it through, but you know you're not really going to get the same results if you don't really understand the physics of the needle and and how it's actually creating a hole and how it can be best applied to minimize tissue trauma and uh, increase accuracy. So uh, I'll be doing the two classes in February and then I'll be doing kind of a a shorter seminar in late April and then we'll kind of take it from there. Uh, I've had some offers to to teach in other spots too, so I'd imagine I'll be doing this class uh, a few more times during 2018. So my interview this week is with FX Roy. Uh, I went to Montreal a few weeks ago to watch uh, FX and, and my friend Jesse teach some some classes on safety and uh, got to sit down with FX for a little while and, and chat. We, we talk about what it's like to be a, a bilingual teacher. He instructs in both English and French, which is uh, really nice for the, the French Canadian population up there in, uh, in the Quebec area. Uh, we'll also be talking about kind of the legacy of, of BME, you know, FX and, and myself were, were, you know, pretty invested in the, the BME era of, of body piercing. Um, FX was definitely skewed a little bit more towards the, the heavy body modification. And now he's, uh, really kind of settled into a role as a, a, a high end body piercer. So we kind of talk about that transition and his decision to actually stop offering, um, heavier body modification work and, and really just focus on, uh, on the body piercing, the, you know, the stuff that he really had a big passion for. So let's go ahead and listen to that interview, and I'll be back after that. Um, my name is FX Roy. I'm a body piercer and the owner of Empire Body Arts in Quebec City, Canada. Uh, I'm francophone, so I've got a weird accent. Uh, you can find most of my work either on the Empire Body Arts website or Instagram or Tumblr. Uh, or Twitter, and uh, I do a lot of uh, 
teaching and training uh, with progressive mentorship as well uh, across Canada. And you can get more infos on that on progressivementorship.com as well. Yeah, so I'm, I'm up here in Montreal and I came to watch you and Jesse teach your classes and uh, it's really impressive to see it, especially with the, the bilingual one. It must be a really big difference for, for people here being able to take a language and, and I mean, I take a class in their native language because I think, you know, if maybe a native English speaker like Jesse were to come here and people naturally think and speak in French, it's probably not as easy for them to, to learn the information, it doesn't feel as fluid. So it's, it's probably a really big deal for the people to be able to take a, a class in French. I think it is. That's one of the things that really pushed me to want to teach in the first place. You know, because of the language barrier, a lot of francophones don't speak a lot of English at all or read a lot. Mm -hmm. And of course, all the info that is out there is in English. You know, be it on the internet, within the APP, uh, or just talking to other piercers that are more skilled because they have that access to information. Yeah. So if you're a francophone and you're not bilingual, you're really stuck in that mold of that tiny community that do all the things the same way, but I've been doing those things for so long the same way because they don't have access to all that improvement right. that is going on everywhere else in the world. Yeah, yeah. So, like when you were saying that people up here don't even really have as much exposure to someone like Jim Ward and some of the more historical figures in the industry because of the language barrier. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of piercers are dreaming of going to the APP conference mm -hmm. every year, but they're really scared to go because they know that they're not going to be able to get the best out of you know the classes they're going to they're take because yeah. they're going to be missing on a lot of words and uh, they're not going to be able to network and communicate with people or ask questions if they have any mm -hmm. and that can be really intimidating and scary as well because you sure. feel extremely isolated yeah when i first started attending a, a app i was one of the only french-speaking people that was uh, at the whole conference and now this year we had uh, French-speaking ribbons. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so that there, many people now. There's more and more people from France. There's yeah. a lot of French Canadians that attend. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some French Ontarians that that come too, which is pretty rare. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's been awesome because now the French community is opening a lot more to like the the, the, the regular standards to uh, to which most Americans and Anglophones in Canada are used to already. Yeah, and I mean, the class that you did yesterday, what, 70 people roughly? Uh, yeah, we had 78 uh, registered people, a few no-shows of course, yeah. uh, as usual, but yeah, it, it was a big turnout. That's a big great. class. Yeah, for, for a private event, that's a big class. Yeah. You know, I think Montreal is always really good to us. Like, yeah. There's a lot of bilingual people here, so a lot of them are interested in taking one year my class, one year Jesse's class, because they're going to be able to understand both languages. Yeah. And they take away the best things of both styles of teaching, you know, because exactly. we teach the same subjects, the same topics, in our own way. So there's different ways to communicate the same. Yeah, it's the same language. I mean, I, the same information, but you know, you have your teaching style. Jesse has his like stand-up comedy routine. Exactly. When he teaches, yeah. yes. So um, explain to me a little bit how you have the different tiers of classes. You know, you, you do private classes in your studio and you do more like consulting work, things like that. Mm -hmm. How did that start to come about? Did you feel like there was like a, a gap in the market or did you feel like that was what people were requesting? Uh, at first, I, I started teaching classes and building workshops about 10 years ago. Uh, just out of a lot of piercers asking me so many questions about very specific topics and topics that would come up very, very often. Like, let's say, genital body piercings. Yeah or when uh, surface anchors, microdermals, uh, uh, popped up. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when it came and exploded on the map, every piercer wanted to do, so, to do them, but they didn't have even access to uh, 
proper jewelry. Yeah. Because you gotta be able to speak English if you want to call a company like Anonymous and order some jewelry. You know. Yeah. Sometimes I, you know, I, I realize now that I'm very much spoiled. You know, living in the states for one, but. You know, I, I speak the language that all the manufacturers speak. I don't have to pay import fees and, and all these different things, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, it's 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 made it easier for me to, to get better. You know, it, it's not as much of a struggle learning yeah. those things in the U.S. Exactly. So since I was able to communicate in English and was ahead of a lot of francophone piercers as far as technology and technique uh, go, I figured, you know, I could build a small class and gather a bunch of those piercers that I've been asking many questions for years and, yeah, just, you know, spread the good news mm -hmm. and, you know, teach them a little bit of what I know and what I was yeah. able to learn when when they couldn't do the same. But it all starts with safety for you, right? Because people can't take those, like, one-on-one -on -one workshops unless they've taken the safety classes first. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Well, once they do what we call the level one, which is basically bloodborne pathogens, safe practices, you mm -hmm. know, best work practices and stuff like that, uh, then it opens a bunch of doors to uh, custom workshops. So we got a bunch of workshops that are uh, built, be it uh, hands-on or just, you know, seminars about uh, techniques or, you know, uh, a lot of really broad topics. Uh, so it's kind of a a la carte, you know, pick your classes, build your day. and. Uh, I love doing that. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Usually the piercers come to my studio and we spend the whole day together and we just talk about everything they want to talk about for a whole day. So that we sounds just like a great learning experience. On, yeah, it's, it's yeah. awesome. And being in my own environment, it makes it very easy because I can give examples. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in my comfort zone. You don't zone, just have to describe it. You can yeah. just show everything exactly, you're talking exactly. about. Yeah. I got my own tools. I got mm -hmm. my own supplies. I got my environment, which I'm very comfortable with. So it makes that teaching phase very, very easy and exciting as well for the piercers because mm -hmm. they get inspired by uh, the setups and the ways I work. Cause yeah, it's I'm not sure about the environment the tools too and because your studio is gorgeous. So. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's not just you know the tools, the techniques and the knowledge, it's also how your environment is set up. You right. know, there's a lot of things that come into uh, best practices that are all about the ergonomy of your studio mm -hmm. and stuff like that. You know, those details count a lot. So especially teaching very specific techniques uh, those kind of details are still important and all that. Oh yeah. Um, the level three is really interesting too because it's us going into a studio. Mm -hmm. So you know we watch people work and we uh, we basically spend a day or two days uh, assessing and understanding how their studio works and how we can help them make it better, make right. it grow from there. Constructive you know. criticism, yeah. kind of maybe point out some of the weaknesses in the shop. Some sometimes it can be just building an employer manual, you know, with the MSDS sheets and yep. the, the metal certificates and you know uh, writing down protocols and procedures and stuff like that. Sometimes it can be helping them with uh, waivers and uh, or just you know swapping everything around in the studio mm -hmm. or just pointing fingers at people and stuff that are uh, not at their best and yeah. just hoping that they're going to make the changes that we uh, I'm sure some positive reinforcement too, saying, you know, this is really strong, but, you know, maybe I, this could use I improvement. I work a lot better uh, with positive reinforcement mm -hmm. than just, you know, telling people about what they're doing wrong, you right. know. Um, but this part of work, I really like. I like seeing other studios. I get inspired by studios. Mm -hmm. even, even when I see stuff I don't really like, I always find things that are really inspiring. It gives me ideas too on how to better my own things, you right. know. So it's a learning experience for me as well. I learned something every time I visit a new mm -hmm. studio. So it's super nice. And at the same time, you see those people work in their environment. 
you know, so you get a very precise idea of what their regular regular routine is, yeah. you know, what their protocols are, if mm -hmm. they have any. And because sometimes you might notice things that they might not even be noticing, like with their workflow, or maybe an unnecessary step, or maybe an unsafe step. Uh, absolutely, and we often give the advice of filming themselves right. while they pierce or while they tattoo. I remember hearing you and Jesse talking about that in some mm -hmm. of the classes and I, I did that a little bit and it really helped me design the workflow for my, my latest studio yeah. knowing that like okay well you don't want to waste all these extra steps going back and forth between these different things just put them together and you can exactly. just have this seamless flow. The, the workflow matters so much you yeah. know you, you want to be able to always have an eye on your customers so yeah. how can you work efficiently in multiple steps with without ever, you know, having your customer in a blind spot. Right. And at the same time, how to work from clean to dirty as yeah. much as possible. Mm -hmm. And how to avoid too many steps when you're carrying, you know, contaminated charts yeah. and stuff Unnecessary like that. glove changes exactly. and exactly. all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's one of the, the things I really like, like building a, building a studio, building the, the workflow and, you know, swapping things around a little bit just to make it more efficient, yeah. quicker. I mean, extremely high volume studios, if you're stuck in a day where you do 40 piercings, but mm -hmm. you feel like you could do 45 because you got 45 customers in that yeah. day, there's probably a way to save, you know, to shave off a few seconds on every of those 40 yeah. piercings. Yeah, like when I talk to, to some of the people from like 23rd Street as a good example, you know, mm -hmm. even saving one minute off of their clients at the end of the day, that could be an hour's worth of time. Exactly, yes, yeah. yes. All those things matter a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I've been doing quite often now, and it, it, this is super exciting, is when somebody... Uh, decides to renovate their whole studio or you know they're moving out and they're rebuilding a new studio out of nothing and we look at the layouts together you know we make plans on how to build the studio yeah. where to place it mm -hmm. place the rooms how to make it safe efficient yeah. good looking you know after that i mean the, the decoration you know the ambience the vibe and all it's all up to them mm -hmm. but just you know putting the walls where they where they yeah. need to be and i've gotten people that have asked my my opinion on that stuff too and and I really like being able to look at a completely blank canvas and be like, okay, you know what? If you did the sterilization room here and then a door here, and then you could mm -hmm. even do like a little pass through in the wall and you could do yeah. this and that and exactly. all these different things. And it goes as far as, you know, if you want to sink in every room, how to minimize the plumbing costs, right. you know, how to set up everything so it's very efficient as far as electricity. Uh, if you want different musics in every room, how to, you know, mm -hmm. make that work as yeah. well. Um, yeah, it's all little details that make the shop better, and yeah. it's really fun to be part of other people's success as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great that people have a resource for something like that, because mm -hmm. I, I think one of the things that really holds people back in this generation of, of body piercing is they just don't feel like they have someone they can ask those kinds of questions to without feeling self-conscious or maybe like mm -hmm. mocked or something you know if, if you just reach out to internet forums only and you're asking all those questions you might get some good advice but you might get torn apart too absolutely you know being able to have someone come in privately and, and consult and say well okay maybe this isn't ideal but you could make it ideal by doing this that and whatever yeah. uh, it is is much more conducive to improvement than just saying like you're doing all these things wrong yeah. you have to change all this stuff it's funny because 15 20 years ago Every beginner had a lot of questions, mm -hmm. but there was no answers available anywhere. You know, everybody was very secretive, and yeah. nobody wanted to share the knowledge yeah. with anybody at all. You know, I think and, people and used now to look at each other as people, more competition. Yeah, exactly. So people had a lot of questions, but no, wouldn't get answers. Yeah. Now all the answers are out there, but mm -hmm. people shy away from asking the the good questions because they're afraid to be ridiculed right. or you know. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's really fragile, but it's not. 
it's not really the the fault of the person that asks the questions. It's some of those people in the forums who you act only like they're one bully to spoil it for everybody else. Exactly. Yeah, because then the next person doesn't even want to put their hand up and, and ask a question. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So if you know, I feel like you're an industry leader in in your region and and you know throughout Canada. How do you feel like you you got to that point where you know was it was it luck? Was it someone mentoring you when you started? Was it you know different access to information online? Because I, I know that you were really um, you were really involved in, in BME when it was active, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like that generation of piercers really got a leg up on some of like the technique stuff, and oh, they yeah. got exposure to all these different kinds of forms of body modification. I think that was the first way that people got to actually share a lot on the very technical level. You know, that was posting. the first access I ever had to it. Pretty much the same for me. Yeah. You know, all the procedural photos and the people that would openly talk about the way to do things. You know, it was good read, good information. And I don't think it would be that relevant now because if we, we got so many more resources that yeah. are easily accessible. APP and Facebook and everything. Exactly. Yeah. But at the time, it was for sure a game changer for anybody that would be able to participate in it. Mm-hmm. What gave me a big uh, start compared to a lot of piercers of my generation in my area uh, is that most of them couldn't be on BME or IM because everything was English. Right, okay. So I was probably one of the only francophones at the time that was active on IM mm-hmm. and you know, that was posting a lot of material and writing you know, articles and experiences on BME and yeah. I was able to read what guys like you had to say about scarifications. Mm-hmm. I remember that my scarification was pretty shit until I met you in 2004 yeah. and we spoke a little bit about different techniques and I remember that when I came back from our meeting, I did a scar. It was my first skin peeling, and that piece put me on the map. Like it, it just boomed right off the bat after that. Awesome. Yeah. So you owe me money. For I, yeah, I never told you that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, owe, I owe you a part of my career. Um, so for, but you ran into my car a year before. So. Yeah, okay, you know what? I don't remember that, so I don't believe you, but okay, it's probably true, though. Uh, so you used to do a lot more body modification, and I, I remember it was a it was a really big deal when you made the announcement of you know it's it's not worth it to me anymore. I don't want to I don't want to offer this kind of work, and I think a lot of people stepped back and realized like maybe I don't have to be doctor everything you know and do implants mm-hmm. and tongue splits and body piercing you know I can just be a specialist in something, and I yeah. think that really opened a lot of people's eyes. So what kind of led you to that decision? Uh. A lot of things, you know. Uh, it was back when I started owning uh, Empire, so mm-hmm. I was not just an employee or an independent contractor anymore. Yeah, I had I was actually responsible for the well-being of other employees, and those things not being the most legit things that you could do, you know, it has repercussions. Right. If something bad was to happen because I fucked up, mm-hmm. uh, some people would lose their jobs, yeah. and you know, it would be a bad thing on their career, and you know, so I felt responsible for that. I also was feeling like the crowd changed a lot, you yeah. know, compared to very early 2000s when, you know, if you wanted for uh, forehead implants, even if you were getting disowned by your fam- by your family, losing your job, and you would have to, you know, pick empty bottles for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. if those horns were, were what would save your life and your mental well-being, you would get them done at all costs. Yeah. And nowadays, well... When I when I stopped, I was reconstructing so many lobes of like 18-year-old teens with three inches lobes mm. that found out that their parents wanted them to get their first job and they couldn't find a job. Yeah, and they were just not ready to accept the consequences of their actions. I was fixing more not well-planned 
and uh, I was fixing a lot of mistakes that could have been easily avoided if it wasn't for that race of who's going to be the most extreme, you know, right. who's going to get that bigger labret than mm-hmm. their Paul, yeah. who's going to have the biggest stretched lobes in yeah. town, or who's going to dare go for that I feel like for better horns, or worse, you know? that's kind of the, that's that's a big part of the legacy of BME, is pushing it, is. it where you had to kind of show off to other people to get that credibility, sort yeah. of, you know? I, I remember Sean Porter saying one day that BME created a heavy modification and killed it too. Yeah. And it really resonates because mm-hmm. that's what got me into that whole thing. You know, at first I was doing heavy mods a lot more than I was piercing, and did that for a good ten years. Yeah, and I, I think at some point I calculated that within the first ten years I probably split more tongues than I did naval piercings. Wow, you know, so I was doing a lot of them. Yeah. I was traveling all across the world, which was amazing. But at some point I realized that the crowd was not really the kind of people I was connecting with anymore. Yeah. You know, I didn't really relate to uh, their decisions, their reasons for getting stuff. And well, sometimes they don't really even have a reason. It's just like, well, you know, I want to join that club. So Yeah, which is, which is fine. I mean, everybody's got their reasons, and I don't want to be the one saying, well, your reasons are shit. You shouldn't right. get that done. It's you not know, valid. So It's not valid. But at some point where your job turns uh, from making people really, really happy and mm-hmm. help them become who they really are, yeah to fixing people that are not able to accept the consequences of their actions and poor decisions, it really loses interest. You know, you, you don't feel like you're making the same positive impact. Yes, you're, you're still making a positive impact by permitting people to find jobs mm-hmm. and, you know, having a, a more normal life, quote. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't feel like I was having the same gratification. There can't be a lot before. of passion with that. that style of work it's a little bit harder you know when you're reconstructing lobes all the time mm-hmm. and I mean that was becoming the bigger thing and it still is for a lot of heavy mod practitioners yeah. but at the same time it's the only thing that we do that can also be done by plastic surgeons mm-hmm. you know so that was an overstep that I wish was easily avoidable you know so at the same time I felt that pressure of stepping out of that risky business mm-hmm getting a little bit tired of doing the same uh, the same things but for less and less fun yeah. over the years yeah and uh, I started you know spending more time within APP conferences mm-hmm. and uh, mingling more with other piercers that were really really passionate and there was that boom of uh, newer higher quality jewelry fancier stuff you know things that are definitely not boring mm-hmm. and that really like lit a new fire in me basically it really made me I can me kind of remember a point where you went from you know being like the the body mod guy to being the piercer to being like the very high end piercer gold and all these super fancy custom pieces and all mm-hmm. that stuff and it's it's been interesting to watch the progression yeah it it really brought uh, brought back the passion for body piercing in general yeah. from that and yeah it's i nowadays I enjoy doing a very simple but very pretty piercing a lot more than doing a very radical uh, yeah. life-altering modification. Right. It's still something I respect and enjoy watching a lot, but it's just not something I enjoy doing a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it would be a disservice to do something on somebody that is that important if I'm not even finding any fun in it. Right. Yeah. When somebody else could actually enjoy the whole process mm-hmm. instead of me. So at, at what point did you start to get into suspension? Oh my god, that was uh, 
very, very early. We, I threw my first hooks in 2002. Mm -hmm. um, and during the first BME Fest in 2003, uh, Shannon took me apart and uh, took me uh, aside and uh, tasked me uh, with starting uh, a suspension group in the province of Quebec because there was nothing going on. Oh, really? Uh, at the time in Canada, you basically just had, I was cured. He's uh, mm. always doing a few things here and there in Montreal, like ritualistic. Uh, things but they were like more Toronto area, right? He's uh, always in Montreal, but it oh, was okay. a very, very small group of people that were like burning sage, painting mm -hmm. their faces and doing like poles with ritual chants and stuff like that. Like not really the, the same thing as offering a service of body discovery and mm -hmm. you know stuff like that so so of course I said yes because I was fascinated by it I remember in 2000 maybe watching a man called horse mm -hmm. and it shocked me but at the same time it started obsessing me and really yeah. I really had to find out you know what was that whole thing about uh, so yeah Shannon gave me a giant bucket of hooks introduced me to Phil Barroso and Alan Fackner mm -hmm. and we sat and chatted a little bit and that was it. Yeah. Came back home and knew barely enough to throw hooks <laughs> and pull on a rope. I, I was using uh, some very bad uh, block and tackle marion pulleys with six millimeter rope and uh, a sawed off uh, pole and stop post sign. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that 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 was uh, that was the beginning. I did uh, I did an interview with Jave recently, and he was kind of telling me when when he first got into it, and it same kind of thing. It's just very like. Uh, I don't even know how to really describe it. Just like whatever you had available, and you just make it work, and then you try to just advance that as oh, much yeah. as you could. Yeah. My my first pulling was with uh, really bad galvanized fishing hooks, mm -hmm. which was probably extremely dangerous for my health. Yeah, and a yellow plastic rope. I, it was awful, and the knots kept on tying. Yeah, but you know that was a life changing experience enough for me to want to share that with as many people as I could. Mm -hmm. And when we started the CSQ, the, the Suspension Collective in Quebec, uh, that same life-changing experience happened to a lot of people that I ended up suspending. And those people decided to do exactly the same thing I did. So yeah. they, joined, they joined me into offering that service, you know, always, always for free. Nobody ever asked a, a penny. Uh, really? Nobody wow. within the CSQ in 15 years got a penny out of uh, the suspensions. We yeah. always put the money we were making back into getting uh, education, mm -hmm. uh, travels to other suspension events, uh, better supplies and gears. But uh, yeah, it's always been non-profit. Huh? And uh, yeah, we've suspended thousands of people. We, we hold small, nice events of 40, 50 people uh, yearly in the woods, mm -hmm. uh, which is called CSQ in the Woods. It's yeah. super fun and all the, the suspension community within, within Canada usually join us now. And yeah, it's a, it's been a great time I'm not as actively involved as I was many years ago but now we got a giant staff of people that that just have so much fun suspending other people yeah and you know the yeah we got a giant group so whoever is viable is able to pull events yeah. and suspend people and that works very organically like that well I guess you fulfilled uh, your command from Shannon I did yeah I, I, I like to think I did yeah so as far as other things where you're um, off your feet, uh, you do a lot of like climbing and, and bouldering. How did, it seems like a lot of piercers are, are doing that as like a know, hobby or weird, exercise. Right? Yeah, yeah, it, it kind of goes in patterns where I'm noticing that where it's like, there was a really long time where it's like, every piercer had a Boston Terrier mm -hmm. and every piercer- And then it was this, a bald cat. Right, yeah, bald cats. And now it's like bouldering and rock climbing. Before so. that it was CrossFit and- Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, you've always been a pretty fit guy, but like how did, 
How did you end up getting into that? Um, one of my ex-girlfriend registered me for a climbing class one day as a surprise, mm. and I had then to uh, get over my man pride and tell her that I was really, really scared of heights. Really? I still decided to go and try. Is that why you do bouldering when you're like three feet off the ground? <laughs> I actually do really, really, really tall bouldering that you would yeah. really want to rope usually. Okay. And yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. I mean, I've been learning to deal with my fear of heights mm -hmm. uh, a lot, and I'm still learning, but it's getting better every year. Yeah. You know? And uh, yeah, it, I started almost six years ago, and it was the first time in my life that I found something that would make me not think about uh, body art, about you know the shop my employees yeah. the work i had to do and uh, my travel schedule and stuff like that it was the the first time i could turn off my phone and not think about it you know? yeah so it was really that that escape that i needed to be able to i noticed that when you yeah. started doing it you know because it was kind of nibbling around you know you would do it a little bit here or there at a gym but then i noticed you know you and misty and like brian and bruno would always you know have all these pictures of you doing these amazing things and always mm -hmm. these big smiles on your faces and yeah. it was just really great to see that you had something you could be so passionate about outside yeah, of work it, and at the same time we're all traveling artists to a certain extent and it was really easy to plan a trip you know well we're going to app uh, in vegas mm -hmm. and 20 minutes so outside of Vegas, you got Red Rocks, you right. know, which okay. is one of the meccas of bouldering, yeah. big wall climbings and all that stuff in the U.S. So why not make, make it a climbing trip and a business trip at the mm -hmm. same time? And more and more piercers, like you said, started climbing too. So we started organizing those outings during piercing and suspension events yeah. uh, at Sascon in Dallas this year. Uh, we did the same kind of thing. We went to uh, Eisenhower State Park and organized a trip with people from Australia, Italy, Canada, United States, mm. all together. And it was it, it, it's been awesome. It's super fun. And now, now that I'm spending a lot of time traveling for climbing, uh, I started writing uh, articles for uh, uh, Delire, which is uh, a big brand in Quebec for climbing gyms, climbing walls, and stuff like that. And I became an ambassador for them. Hmm. So now, you know, it gives me a really good reason to push people to go play outside yeah. the same way I learned to do. And a lot of people are finding their escape. Uh, the same way. Yeah. Brian Necker, I brought him climbing out of boredom in Vegas four years ago and he fell in love with him and uh, with it and now it's his main hobby. I mean he spends more time there than at his shop. And, really? you know. So yeah. I, it's I kinda nice like to be able to having, share that. Having some sort of hobby, you know, just anything that gets you out of your own head, out of out of work, out of your house. Mm -hmm just makes you a happier body piercer because when you're just obsessing over that one thing every day, you know, your jewelry and your sterilization and your shop, like after a it's while... It's easy it, to get burnt out. It, it's very easy to get mm -hmm. you burnt out. Like, you know, I feel like that's yeah. my main problem right now is I don't have anything else to keep me like energized and, and motivated and excited, you know, and if I try to just push all of my spare time into the shop, after mm -hmm. a while I get sick of being at my shop, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think your, your clients deserve all your focus and all your attention. Yeah. And if you're constantly focused on the same thing and never turn it off it, you lose that kind of focus it deletes yeah. the whole thing right so yeah I, I think being able to find something find a balance between being so passionate and mm -hmm. loving your work so much yeah but also finding something else that is almost as important uh, makes both things even more valuable on their own mm -hmm. and yeah I appreciate the days I spend at the shop a lot more yeah. now 
when I've been spending three days in the mountains, mm -hmm. like humping a bunch of rocks, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and I'd imagine you have that added benefit of having like the world's strongest fingers. I can bend titanium seam rings in a, in a blink. It's super easy. Yeah. But yeah, I had to up my size of glove and uh, really? yeah. Sometimes I'm a little bit sore, so but you have it, big it's muscly never, fingers now. Yeah, I've got big fat sausages. They're they're still super short. I still fit in small gloves sometimes, yeah. but yeah, they they've gotten fatter for sure. Cool. Maybe I should start doing that. <laughs> you would break gold jewelry all the time. Just shear it in oh, half. Oh yeah, you you don't want to screw those threads too hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, what what else have you guys been up to? I mean, like how how frequently are you instructing lately? Um, I'm trying to keep uh, my classes being just one a year mm -hmm. uh, in every like major city uh, in the province. So we do that big, big bilingual one in Montreal every year. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's usually one in uh, Trois-Rivières, uh, which is halfway between Quebec and Montreal um, in January. Uh, in spring, usually uh, early April, I do the Quebec City one. Sometimes I do two because there's a lot of people that come from all the regions for the Quebec City one, and mm -hmm. it's like the big francophone only one. And I do uh, Sherbrooke as well, uh, which is kind of a good hub, mm -hmm. big city, close to the US border. Uh, and that one's super cool as well, usually in June. So yeah, from, from June to November, I got that gap on which I focus a lot more on level twos and level threes as well. Yeah. It gives me more time to spend time one-on-one -on -one with uh, other piercers instead. Hmm. So, ProgressiveMentorship.com is probably the best way for people to keep up on that, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. descriptions of the classes and mm -hmm. lists of what's available, uh, the dates and schedules of the upcoming classes as well. Uh, a little bit of info on all of us. And yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try really hard over the next year to, to try and catch up with you and Jesse. You know, got my classes worked out for Florida and Maryland. I'm going to try to get a couple others squeezed in during the year. And then, you know, I got APP and all the other conferences and all that stuff. But yeah, it, it's inspiring watching mm -hmm. you guys work and, and just how um, how smooth it is, you know, because I remember a couple of years ago when we were all just kind of starting to teach and it was a mm -hmm. lot of like, well, we know stuff, but we don't really know how to convey that information. And yeah, the, the early stages of the workshops at APP. Right. And, yeah. yeah, where it was just chaos. It was like, well, we have a box full of stuff that some people use in some mm -hmm. shops, you know, and yeah. let's we just talk about using this. We got a giant Tupperware. Let's pretend that is, a, that is an yeah. autoclave. Right. Let's, yeah. pretend this is a, let's pretend this cardboard box is a sink. Yeah ridiculous but it worked it worked it worked you know people learned a lot from that and created yeah. a format that is like extremely popular now yeah. during conference so but it was good you, because you we got to learn monster, how to be you know? teachers yeah. you know and and uh, I think a lot of it was through the legacy of you know stuff like health educators and Dave Vidra and, and going to conference and all that stuff you know we we learned kind of the the information that that we need and what future generations might need but maybe just a different approach to present it where it's a little bit more accessible it's a little bit less intimidating a little bit easier to digest and, mm -hmm. um, I, I I take a lot of satisfaction when someone sends me a message and they're like oh I took a class a year ago and you know this one thing that you said really clicked with me and it's made everything so much easier for me now and you know it's so, Sam my apprentice took one of your classes at the Boston convention last yeah. year and he really really enjoyed it like he came back full of ideas and was like yeah Ryan said this and that and that's fucking awesome I've never thought about that and that's great. he does things differently than you so I'm gonna try both techniques and see what works best and, yeah. you know and it was right where he was uh, still apprenticing but at the end of it so like he was already an extremely good piercer. When he could very start talented, really applying. But at the same time, he was finding his own ways yeah. instead of just applying what I taught him. So mm -hmm. having you know, different opinions and techniques from 
different piercers as well helped him like blend everything and create his own style so yeah. that was definitely a benefit for him cool yeah that's great it's fun we're gonna take over the world slowly oh, yeah. but surely uh anything else you want to talk about what are, what are the other other good subjects that you want to talk about you talk about me well you can ask me a question if you want but i can't think of uh talk about growing a beard i don't know <laughs> that 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 you're a pro at it <laughs> that for sure how to braid a beard yeah i, I really hope he keeps that mustache by the way I know. he yeah. he won't because right now when it, whenever he's breathing too hard it's like poking the inside of his nostrils <laughs> and he really hates it but i've been asking him to send me photos of his mustache every day until he shaves it which is probably not gonna happen because he's probably shaving it tonight hopefully not <laughs> it, it makes me year, so sad what end of the year i think i don't think he's gonna be able to do that yeah, he was talking about tonight. <laughs> so you know him fairly well. Uh, A bit. What uh, what what do you think uh, it would be some good stuff to have on the episode? Uh, I don't know. I mean, your history is gratification, obviously, which I don't think comes up as much now. Like, obviously, you're one of the early people at that. Like, he was doing it well. Um, I mean, both of you were so that's a easy subject. Um, well, I mentioned that he was doing it first because yeah. he, he made me better. So. Yeah. Aww. You did. Well, you thank did. you. You, t- thank you took you. a little bit of time to take your headphones off and <laughs> talk to me and share a little bit with me, and that changed my way of working. Yeah? For oh, real. Cool. Thanks. I think touching on you, I touched on it a little bit, but like the lack of education in the French community isn't necessarily by choice. It's by limitation of language. Oh, the, I, I, I spoke a lot about Oh, yeah, that. I know you touched on that a little bit, but just the fact that you have, like, an open door at your studio, which a lot of studios don't offer, like, yeah. piercers can drop in, they can check it out, they can see your piercing room, they can ask you about your stuff. You know, like, you really have an open door there where tons of piercers, like, it's normal to have, like, six piercers hanging out in your studio, which is really rare. It actually happens quite often. Yeah. It's a weird thing with the industry now, because if I look back to when I, when I started, you know, but before I was even really, like, a quote-unquote professional in a studio, you know, like, I, I was working... In some studios, you know, but I, I, I wouldn't consider myself a professional at the time, but uh, just like calling up someone and saying like, hey, you know, I'm a piercer from wherever, you know, can I come and hang out at your shop? Like I would have gotten hung up on, you know, yeah. like nobody would have reached out and done that. Even during the BME days, you know, mm-hmm. like you could get some information on there if you asked directly. But, you know, even if somebody, if I knew them reasonably well, you know, if I was like, hey, can I just come and hang out at your shop and you teach me all your secrets that you've, like, you know, scratched and clawed mm-hmm. to, to get, people would have just laughed at me, you know? And now it, the industry, seeing the industry at a point where you can approach someone like you or someone like Jesse or someone with a lot of experience and just be like, hey, you know, whether there's money involved or not, you know, can I just run some questions by you? Can I just get a little inspiration or can I just see how you set up your shop? And mm-hmm. just being able to, to have an open door like that. People have been like, coming to your studio to shadow you as well, right? Yeah, for, for years, but I, I've... I don't really get that many inquiries about it, weirdly, you know, like I've put it out there. Well, the, the, the level one of progressive mentorship is definitely a trigger for that. Yeah, you know, yeah I'm sure. Yeah. We, we talk about it and we, I mean, there's so many topics that we barely scratch the surface off mm-hmm. during, you know, that six hour class. Yeah. It, it just opens a lot of ideas to a lot of people. Yeah. And during breaks, everybody comes and asks questions mm-hmm. and I'm just like, you know, I can talk about this for for hours. Right. So you know, but come, the good thing about you is you're not you're not doing it like a sales pitch. You know, because no, 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 I, it's I not think a sales pitch. It's just like I'm I'm out of time. I can't talk about right. everything I want right. to talk about. Because yeah. if if I was to talk about plumbing or mm-hmm. piercing, I could just never shut up and right. go on until I die. So yeah. you know, I gotta 
prioritize and mm -hmm. you know cut short on a lot of topics that are really really interesting and some people want to yeah. focus on those very specific things that mm -hmm. are not necessarily interesting to a whole group right so, yeah because there are some piercers where uh, you know maybe they're not ready to to focus just heavily on jewelry you know yeah. maybe they want to focus heavily on their sterilization or safety or studio layout some or whatever. piercers are super smart and they want to focus on techniques a lot more than jewelry right. sales too. right yeah so. technical things or or maybe they're they're not the person that has, you know, control over the purchasing of jewelry or something like right. that, but they want to really talk about, you know, maybe anodizing the jewelry that mm -hmm. they have if they're limited to titanium over gold or yeah. something like that. But just well, being able to have that free just share of Just yesterday, you know, we probably had about 15% of piercers in the crowd and everybody mm -hmm. else was tattoo artists, yeah. which is pretty cool. Like That's it's, kind of mind-blowing, really. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I, it makes me extremely happy. Yeah. But when I was uh, doing the piercing part, you know, I touched base just on uh, cross-contamination through anodization. Mm -hmm. So I had to describe what anodization was. Right. And I saw a lot of spark of interest uh, amongst the, the few piercers that were mm -hmm. there. But there's no way I'm going to bore 85% of my crowd, right. which are tattoo artists right. that don't care about anodization at all. Yeah just like going at length about it you know so it's a topic i would rather talk to with a smaller group mm -hmm. of people that are truly interested in that in that very specific topic so it th that whole class just opens so many doors and so many questions yeah. that it's really easy after that to just take smaller groups and mm -hmm. focus on on answering those uh, specific questions yeah so with with the tattoo community, is that something where you really had to like push and market, or did they kind of like you know seek you out and they, say they like we, to, we want they that came together by themselves? And it, it's just crazy. When I first started with uh, health educators, uh, I'd say our crowd was probably eighty five percent piercers and fifteen percent tattoo artists. Right. And most of them were pouting, and mm -hmm. you could tell that they, they have a there, piercer boss right. that forced them to be there. Yeah. You know, and. Yeah, I mean, seven years later, it's the other way around. You still have piercers. I was very surprised you, you by that. Always had piercers, but the, the turnout of tattoo artists that were there—it's mm -hmm. incredible. Right. We had a bunch of uh, uh, apprentices or wannabe apprentices that were there, and I really like people that are not yet in the industry, but are that are really passionate about it. Yeah, they want to learn, and you know, it's especially that they want to learn the safety first exactly. before they start just picking and up at a the same time when you when you go seek out an apprenticeship after that and you already did your homework mm -hmm. as much as you could by yourself right. you know there's only so much that they can then teach you it makes everything easier and flow better and safer too for the for the mentor because mm -hmm. the apprentice has less chances of you know compromising their health yeah right do you feel like that, it's so. a generational thing because it seemed like the, a lot of the tattooers that were in the class yesterday were kind of on the younger side you know they weren't like a lot of old timers 10 15 years in uh, we had about I'd say five or six people that have been in this industry for over 15 20 years mm -hmm. uh, in the class um, every year in specific classes there's a few piercers and tattoo artists that I know that have been in this industry for over 20 years that come religiously to every single seminar that we give. That's amazing and that people would still care, you know, because yeah. I think a lot of people get jaded, you know, even piercers who have been in the, the game for 20 or more years, you know, they're just like, no, I know it all. I don't, I don't need, yeah. I, I might need a certificate, but I don't need the class. Exactly. Or the famous that law of, you know, nobody mm -hmm. ever died. So, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. No, so there's no reason for me to be? change anything. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it makes me so incredibly happy to see the kind of demographic that we're now reaching with those types of classes. Yeah. You know, it's we had a 16-year-old little girl that was there. Uh, she did she did a few stick and pokes on her friends in high school, something like that. And her mom drove her here, paid for her class as an early Christmas gift, 
because she wanted to make sure that her daughter would be safe if she was to pursue doing stick and poke on her friends. Wow. So, Hopefully in a studio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously it's not the most advisable thing, right. but the intention behind it is mm -hmm. is really grand. You know, it makes yeah. me extremely happy because that little girl was super excited to be here. She was so enthusiastic. Yeah. And her mom seemed to be very supportive as long as she was doing things right, mm -hmm. you know? So it's... I, I think we're going to see more and more, not necessarily stick and poke teenagers, yeah. but more and more people that are at a very early stage of getting uh, finding interest uh, within this community and industry yeah. that really want to make things right right off the bat. Yeah, and they is, value safety as much as they value the yeah. cool factor. I usually start my class by by telling people that I built that class in the way that I wish I was taught before I became a piercer. That's a great way to explain it, yeah. Because I... I, I talk about this a lot on the show is I, I wish I had access to, to anything even remotely like this you know 20 years ago yeah. you had no shot at something like this you know you could go and take a, a really bad class at the Red Cross or something and they would say like you know oh yeah you know there are disinfectants that exist or wash your hands but that's it like you didn't yeah. get any information about anything else so it, I mean it's fantastic I, I, I can only imagine where the industry is going to be five years or ten years from now you know yeah. seeing people that are it's getting into the industry such now a crazy pace right now yeah. but yeah I mean the whole evolution has been amazing mm -hmm. just uh, it makes me really happy to have been there just in time to witness so much change within our industry you know yeah because it plateaued for quite a bit mm -hmm. and it it was very stagnant as far as techniques and quality of jewelry and you know innovations and stuff like that and then at some point there was that big boom you know surface piercings and then surface anchors and you know, large gauge piercings, and there's so many things that popped up that you know we could barely keep up with yeah. the new techniques and ideas, especially in the early 2000s. What there were some so of the things. the old like BME trends that you're glad are gone? Like for me, I remember. Do you remember like scar and brace piercing and like pocketing yes. and stuff like that? Yeah. I did a lot of pocketing, stapling, and oh, uh, actually, I, I, that's what all these scars yeah, are oh, from. I know. Stapling I remember when you my, had some. Yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of like flesh waving and stuff like that. Yeah. And, most of them held really well. I, I had like a gigantic, stupid portfolio of that, and I, yeah. I remember I was like grinding my own 14 gauge externally threaded bars, removing the threads, bending them, polishing them the best I could with yeah. a Dremel, and showing them in people and hoping for the best. And that that wasn't the worst thing. I think like uh, scalping everything, mm. uh, dermal punching everything. Remember yeah. when people were dermal punching large gauge tongue piercings and stuff like that? I never did tongues, but I was doing like large gauge lavrettes yeah. with a punch. There's still people that do that. There's yeah. still people that are gonna advocate that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not my jam. Mm. And I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to use a punch on anything with like muscle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, there there were some. I've seen some dermal punched apodavias back in the days and stuff like that. I mean, wow. How do you get you that know? blade through that? <laughs> with that thick of a piece of tissue. I know, you push really hard, I guess. I guess, Or yeah. you or use you one on, down one on both ends and, yeah. you know, you, you try to connect the button and the two of them. I don't know. But, yeah, there, there was a certain time where scalpels and dermal punches were so cool, innovative, and they were also kind of the badge of, like, I'm more than I'm a piercer. I'm, yeah. like, I'm, like, the I remember the real every single one of us had that cool guy picture where we had our face mask and we were holding a scalpel with this grim oh, yeah. look on your face. Oh, yeah, oh was, look how much of a badass I am. Yeah, that was my I am profile picture right. in, like, 2002 right. or something like that. But now when time, I see like, a piercer post a picture like that, I groan, and it's like, oh, come on, you can do better than that. Just yeah, don't yeah. don't be that person. Don't be learn, that guy. Learn from us. It's not worth it. Yeah, the, you know that old BME t-shirt, like, uh, I'm not a doctor, but I play one. Play one it was fun 15 years ago it was you know it was funny yeah. at that time yeah. and yeah nowadays i don't think it's something that should be ever worn by anybody mm. 
At least not seriously. I'm pretty sure I still have that shirt at home. I have like a big stack of like old BME shirts. Yeah. I always had the top contributor t-shirts every year. I got one one year for, I think I was like top contributor for scarification or something mm -hmm. like that. But yeah, I got that quite, quite yeah. a bit too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I miss those days and at the same time I don't miss those days because I look back on the quality of work that I was putting mm -hmm. out. Scarification, you know, I was putting out decent scarification, but piercing, yeah. like, you know, I was trying to do all this innovative stuff, yeah. but now I look back at it and it's like, oh, I, I had no idea. I had no oh, yeah. idea what I was yeah. doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think at a point, at a certain point, every single piercer in the carrier for a quick moment is going to uh, put innovation before the safety of your customers. Yeah. And it usually doesn't take a long time before you feel bad about it. But there are some things, there are some like really good innovations that came out of that. You know, like you said, the progression of, like you remember the original single point piercing where it was basically like a nostril screw. Yeah, I was making my own and yeah. Oliver, my first apprentice, mm. had horns on his forehead made like that nice. for many, many years. Yeah. And they held superbly. Yeah. But that was like the stupidest idea. Yeah, yeah, it was. But I mean, no. Yeah. But, but that but it led to the door. You know, we only had transdermal implants at the time, and yeah. those were so invasive mm -hmm. and and so problematic as well. Yeah. So you know, being able to downsize that, mm -hmm. make something that was at least less chirurgical, yeah. surgical at the time, yeah. was already like really, really more great. in the realm of body piercing. At yeah. least. Yeah. And then Pat Prude came up with a, a good, good kind of prototype, and it mm -hmm. moved moved on from there probably yeah. in like 2005 or something and then uh, that's when like surface bars really started to take off too because mm -hmm. i mean there always were surface bars but yeah there but were they always were hand stock. And, yeah. yeah hand bend like the stem rise was too long and everything and then when the surface anchor started to take off so much that's when i think companies started to make those really really short rises and flat stock yeah. and, and all that you know and that's that was a huge mm -hmm. progression that yeah. came out of some i, I remember when uh, imi made the first like flat surface bars mm -hmm. and he was drilling holes in them so they would attach to the skin a little bit Oof. better too yeah i mean that was a crazy concept probably not the best idea but at the same time it kind of made sense because we did the same thing with surface anchors you exactly. know those holes in our head was what was holding that thing in place so if we were to do that with surface bars maybe they wouldn't reject as often you know yeah. it, it was it's a lot of trials and errors i mean yeah i think some of the freehand piercing techniques now kind of came out of the the concept of scalpeling you know with that like flat trajectory of a, of a blade yeah. going through and you know not having that drag of like the back edge of the bevel and everything mm -hmm. you know I think some people work that out by saying, well, you know, a scalpel, but then thinking, well, I can just do this with a needle if I use the needle the right way. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Ron Garza's first theories on, you know, right. uh, freehand piercings, and that was revolutionary. Yeah. That was scary. It was, it was super intimidating. Yeah. I, I remember... My, my first boss forbid me to pierce freehand really? at his shop. I was piercing freehand whenever he was not there, and yeah. whenever he was there and, like, he was watching me work, I was using clamps, mm -hmm. you know, just because that thing was totally out there you know yeah. Was, yeah i remember i was at bmx one year and ron was there i think it might have been like 2008 or 2009 and he was selling the dvd that he made with like chris glunt and yeah. like ruben and uh i was looking at it and i was like wow this i i i feel like i don't know what i'm doing when i see this it's like you're doing something completely different like we're both putting in jewelry but it's like it's not even close how you're doing it or how i'm doing it yeah and now i look at it and it's just like oh yeah you know i wish i had figured that out 10 years ago 
Yeah, yeah. now that seems obvious, but yeah. yeah, until you're shown that it exists and that it can be done. Exactly. Why yeah. would you even think of yeah. going, you know, too straight from the path of using the Google clams? Well, that's why know, I'm. Google that's techniques. why I'm working on developing the freehand class that I'm working on right now. Is so many people still are in that that point where that I had where. They think like freehand technique just means not using a clamp, and they don't understand it's it's how you're using the needle, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, with with some of the things that I'm going to be doing in the class that are really going to be demonstrating and, and giving them inanimate objects to pierce to show, you can see exactly how the needle interacts with it, and then you can start to put those things together in your mind, and it just it clicks a lot faster for people when yeah. they don't have to just guess and figure mm -hmm. it out on a. This is a very abstract concept. Like if you've yeah. been piercing with clamps your whole life. Mm -hmm. And a freehand piercer tells you, you know, you're gonna feel the needle, you're gonna feel it in the skin, and you're gonna know exactly what you're doing just out of the feel you have on your fingertips. It's totally abstract. Mm -hmm. Once you've done it thousands of times, you know exactly how needles yeah, yeah. under the skin feels. But you know, you need to have your fingers on that skin mm -hmm. to feel it. Yeah. So yeah, for the depth and the tissue tension, yeah, exactly. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. how That's to great. roll the skin and move it around. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm actually I'm excited for this class. I'm excited for that it is, class and put it together. It's yeah. an exciting topic, and it's always yeah. going to be on topic. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be multiple techniques to yeah. achieve the same result. And it advances so quick that you can always keep a class like that fresh because oh, yeah. there's gonna, there's always going to be some new information that you can put into it. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So uh, one more time, where do people find you online, and where's your studio? Um, EmpireBodyArts.com or on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, I'm in Quebec City, Canada. And my studio is open and welcoming to any piercer that want to come hang out and see the shop. Cool. Including and, uh, you. Yeah, I, I'll get there eventually when you're not out being Spider-Man or something. But thanks for talking to me. Of course. Always good to sit down with Ethics, a really generous person, really nice, really talented, and uh, it's just cool to see how that uh, BME generation is is kind of forming uh, future generations of body piercers, you know, teaching classes and, and helping to mentor people. Uh, you can go and check out uh, ProgressiveMentorship.com. You can see a lot of the different classes and services that Jesse and Ethics and myself offer. And don't forget, you can also check out precisionbodyarts.com backslash seminars. You can learn all the nonsense that I like to teach, too. Next week, I'll be back with another interview. Uh, I've got a piercer friend uh, coming into town this weekend. I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to say who yet because we're getting a, a pretty nasty snowstorm tomorrow. So who knows if it'll actually come through. But um, if, uh, if we do meet up, uh, I'll try to get another interview. And uh, maybe I can get that up uh, as soon as uh, the next couple of weeks. So I'll see you next week, and thanks for listening to the podcast. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. 